appreciate each of you being here this evening. It's an honor to be able to stand before you. Um, I have a few things I would like to uh, address this evening that I think are timely for the uh, state of affairs that we live in at this present age. Uh, but I'll begin with a quick little story. Maybe, hopefully, it'll be somewhat quick. But out where we live, um, I live across the county line into Cannon County on five acres. But beside me is a, a farm. And this farm land, uh, the river out where we're at, river follows along this farm land. But as soon as you come into my driveway, immediately to the left, there's a, gra a gravel drive that goes around to this bean field. And it's the farmers, they have a right-of-way to uh, legal right-of-ways in the deed for them to be able to go over to this field. And uh, they've always been very gracious to us, allowed us free, uh, free access to everything, go over to the river and all of that. But many years ago, people used to park down there. Uh, and I say down because it's down in front of my property. And uh, they would park down there. It became an issue. They would leave their vehicles. Farmers would be ready to go get into their field. They couldn't get access to the field because people had parked a car and they'd gone way down the river fishing and they couldn't find them. So we put up a chain, a chain across some uh, like telephone pole type post and then a big chain across there and stuff uh, to discourage trespassers, not because we don't want to share, but because we don't want the issues of garbage and blocking the entry and all of that. Well, these farmers ha have hired help that work for them. From time to time, these guys are less than desirable type of characters. When they come in and out, they put the chain down to go in and out, and they don't put it back. And guess who has to put it back? I do. And it's really frustrating to, because if that chain gets, as soon as it gets left down, here come the trespassers. And they're down there parking, and they're tra leaving trash and all of that. So it's very, not only is it annoying to me, but it's on my property. And that just isn't fair. That isn't fair that somebody comes on my property, trespasses, takes this chain down, leaves it down, creates all these problems for me. And I don't like it. It's not fair. But if I look at it a different way, some of you may have seen a, a picture that I posted recently on Facebook. I go down there in that field in the evenings and I ride my four-wheeler. And way off to the horizon, I see the beautiful sunset one direction. To the other direction, I see the, the moon coming up. And I get to experience things like that and see all of God's glory in places like that. It doesn't cost me a dime. I get to go and, and enjoy that property. doesn't cost me anything. It makes, that property makes my property feel huge, even though it's not as well. So in one side of it, it doesn't seem fair. But is it fair that I get to use that property? That I get to enjoy all of these things? It's all in how we look at it. And that's kind of what I want us to, to, to consider this evening. And so, first of all, from our scripture reading, I will mention that Leland put the wrong scripture in the bulletin. I gave it to him, but he did it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I changed it on him. But, um, so that's my fault. But anyhow, this, this passage that was read, do all things without complaining and disputing. So I could complain about the chain, but I'm not going to. I don't have a right to. I don't feel like. And that I may become blameless and harmless children of God 
uh, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day, uh, the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. But I want us to consider as God's children things that we think, ways that we feel that we've been treated unjustly, things that we consider that are unfair to us. The scriptures are full of examples from basically from Genesis to Revelation. We can look at the scriptures and we can see God's people who have been treated unfairly. We consider Joseph, an innocent young man, suffered at the hands of his jealous brothers. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife in prison. In prison. But the culmination of all of that in Genesis 20, he says, But as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Which way do we look at it? Do we, do we focus on how unfairly he was treated, or do we consider the benefits that we receive from it? We look at Job. Job was this, none like him. He was blameless. He was upright. He, was feared. he feared God. He shunned evil. He was extremely wealthy. He had everything, and everything was taken from him. It just wasn't fair. But we know the rest of the story when we study Job, and we see how richly blessed he was. Paul, we're studying in Acts, and we see some of these things already. Paul started as a sincere persecutor of the church but changed to a sincere Christian. And what did he get for it? He suffered greatly over and over and over again. It wasn't fair. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils of, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in the wilderness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides other things, what comes upon me daily in my deep concern for all the churches? What did Paul get for all of his troubles? <laughs> Barney Fife would say, heartache, nothing but heartache. That's all he got. He got physical abuse. He got mental abuse. He suffered greatly for it. It just wasn't fair, was it? We'll talk more about that. Stephen, we were talking about Stephen in Acts. We're in our study of Acts for those who may not be with us on Sunday mornings in our, our Bible class. We go over to uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, and saying, and this saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit. So Philip, he was chosen as one of the first, as we like to refer to, as one of the first servants of, of the widows, one of the deacons. And so he was chosen. He was a faithful man. He was an upright man. And then we go on to chapter, uh, in verse 8, we see, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And in verse 10, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
And then we go further and we see the sufferings. He was accused falsely. And then chapter 7, we see how he was persecuted and then he was even stoned. Doesn't seem fair. Onesimus. Onesimus, we know, he was a slave and he ran away. He got his freedom. He ran away and he was sent back. He was sent back as a child of God, but he was also sent back as a slave. And hopefully he would be released in Philemon. In verses 10 through 18, we see this story unfold. It doesn't seem fair, does it? He became faithful. He became a child of God. And yet he was sent back to this hardships that he was enduring. And of course, our greatest example being Christ. Christ cursed, mocked, ran for his life at times, sweat drops of blood, beaten, crucified, all for no sin of his own. In 2 Corinthians, again, we go to chapter 5. In verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then, of course, also we go over to First uh, Peter in chapter 3, 1 Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, that he may be made alive by the Spirit. He suffered all of these things. He was pure. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was the Son of God. He left heaven for us. doesn't seem fair for him to come to this earth and to suffer all these things for us. He didn't do anything. We're the, we're the guilty ones, but yet he suffered. So we see from all throughout Scripture, men of faith were suffered, had suffered. They were persecuted. They were treated unfairly. It just didn't seem right. When we think of these things, that's one thing that should help us strengthen our faith in hard times and in difficult times and persecutions. But I want us to look at some, some specific ways in which we feel we are treated unfairly and how we deal with each. As again, I, in the uh, beginning I mentioned, we see the days changing. We see the tides changing in our society we see the hardships. They're coming again. There's a, there's a, a climate of, of in the, against the religious world, against the political freedoms that we have. Um, we see all this turmoil around about us. Not that we should be wringing our hands all doom and gloom, but we should be wise about it and we should prepare ourselves. Well, one of the things that we might consider is the way that our enemies treat us. We want to have a love that we might win in the ways that our enemies treat us. Let's go to uh, Luke. In Luke in chapter 6, beginning with verse uh, 31, 31, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And so we see here that it's no trouble to love those who love us. That's not the challenge, is it? 
If we go further, then in verse 35 through 38, we see, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Judge not, that you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a goal. That's a goal right there to consider how we should treat those who persecute us, it would, that we would consider our enemies. And just as a, a, a I should say, just as, shouldn't say, maybe just as a side note to this, in Romans 11, we should think about ourselves for just a moment when we consider how our enemies treat us. In Romans 11 and, and verse 30, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also now being disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. We were all once sinners as well. And so to consider this and to think about it, how we have lived our lives, and how should we then hold someone else to a different standard uh, than the way the Lord has forgave, forgiven us? We were enemies of, enemies of his. If we go over to Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And he made you alive who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind of the mind, and were nat- and by nature children of wrath, just as uh, the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up together, and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we need to consider that. We need to consider that when we're being persecuted when, when the way our enemies treated us, we were once enemies of Christ, and he forgave us. We need to consider that when they do these things to us, and hopefully they will see our good behavior and see our hope and maybe give us an opportunity to teach by word and example, and perhaps they too will come to know Christ just as we have. Well, another way that we feel that we're treated un. Uh, improperly, unfairly, and it can cause bitter feelings is the way our government uh, treats us. And that's a big rub for a, a lot of folks. And unfortunately, I hear that among the brethren as well. And the way the uh, people deal with that and react to that, sometimes it, it's just not uh, in accordance with the way the Lord would have us to behave. And so we should have the proper respect toward our government, even during times 
that we feel that we're being mistreated, that the government is crossing the line and imposing things on us. If we go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, sustain from fleshly lustrous war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works in which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, ask yourself, what's the therefore? Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, and as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak or vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." So we have direct commandments of how we are to behave to those in uh, civil authority toward us and and the the respect that we should show toward them. And then we also see their purposes, their uh, God-appointed purposes as well that we see in Romans uh, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And from the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but also because for conscience sake. For for because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, according to according attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore. To all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. I don't see anywhere in that that says just because we're treated uh, unfairly by the government, just because they use our taxes in the wrong way, just because we don't like the speed limit, just because whatever, and we feel like we're being treated unfairly, just because we don't like our, our, our president, just because whatever. I don't see a just because in here that we, we feel like we can do what we want to do and that we can rebel and that we can harbor hard feelings. Now, it doesn't say you have to like it, some of it. Some of it we don't like. But it doesn't say that we can act up in ways that are unbecoming to a child of God either. And so that is another area that I see. And by the way, I want to make sure you understand that if I'm standing up here speaking on this, it's because I need it. I need it desperately. Um, and so I have these issues as well that I have to con- continually combat. Another issue, oh, I shouldn't have said this because I was just about to talk about marriage. <laughs> but that didn't come out right. But anyway, there is the idea 
uh, that people have a problem in, in, among brethren as well with the issue of marriage. And I'm not going to get into the, the very deep muddy waters of it, but I know what the scriptures say. And most brethren know what the scriptures say about it as well. <clears throat> and so how we conduct ourselves in proper marriages and how we conduct ourselves in improper marriages and how we conduct ourselves when marriages fall apart, we have uh, information on all of those things in the scriptures. And many times that one or two in this relationship are behaving unfairly, being treated unfairly, and it even leads up to divorce. And so we need to have our head on right. We need to have the scriptures in our heart right uh, as well and have an understanding of it. And I believe me, I know that the young people really get tired of hearing this. <laughs> uh, as when I was a college to high school student, I got tired of being taught and preached on this. And I know the young people do today, but there's a good reason why it keeps coming up because it keeps coming up. It's a continual problem. So the first thing I would tell you is, is if you're not married and you're going to get married, marry someone who'll help you get to heaven and really focus, really look at that. But having said that, there's a, there are several uh, attitudes that we can have, several outlooks that we can have if we're being treated unfairly in this relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, First Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, but if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband does not believe, and if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, and by, and, but now they are holy. But if an unbeliever departs, let him depart, and a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases." And so we have that passage to consider, but we consider that in conjunction with Matthew 5 uh, and also Matthew 19. Sometimes a spouse is put away unfairly. Sometimes it's not a scriptural putting away. Sometimes they're, they're, they stay together and they're treated unfairly as well. There's all these situations but we'll talk more about how to handle this in a moment as well. But just know that I would I mention this as well. Leland mentioned this morning about someone who would be praying to God. And they would say, Lord, do you understand? Do you understand we're in this storm? <laughs> yes, he understands. He knows. Jesus knows the temptations, the trials, and the struggles. He knows these things. Um, when we have someone standing over us, telling us uh, every move to make, and we know, we understand, that's the way I, I would think the Lord would feel about that as well. I don't need you to tell me how to do my job. <laughs> I made you. I see everything. I do understand. I do have compassion. And I want you to understand that 
I understand as well. And so that is a, hor- a horrible hardship for someone to have to deal with. And as little as I do understand about that, I know the Lord understands completely about it. Another situation that we may feel that we're, fe- we're treated unfairly in and that can cause uh, bitterness, can cause hardship, is when we have an issue with a brother or a sister, if we have an issue with someone in the church and we've been treated unfairly or we feel we've been untreated unfairly or we have been untreated unfairly, we're commanded not to bring reproach on the church in this issue. And if we air our problems out among the world by taking a brother to law, by taking a brother to Facebook, if you will, whatever the case may be, If we air our problems out into the world, what's the world going to think about the brethren bringing reproach upon the church? We have teachings on this as well in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world, if and if the world will be judged by you, you are unworthy to judge the smallest matters. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, and do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is <clears throat> it is so that there are that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between you and his brother. Brethren, but a brother goes to law against a brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you have to go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? It definitely would be better to be cheated, to be wrong, to put that aside than to bring reproach upon the church, to cause division, to bring, allow the world to see the issues that perhaps the brethren have among themselves, that would be a terrible thing. And we're commanded not to do it. And we have solutions to deal with these things as well up to a point. Because sometimes it's going, in the end, it's, it's going to be that the Lord will have to take care of it for us. But... In Matthew 18, verses 15 through, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 18, a very familiar passage. But in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if you, he will not hear you, take with you two or more. And that by the mouth two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there are ways to deal with issues among brethren and all the way up to the point that um, perhaps a brother would have to be uh, disciplined by the church. And, but he may still not make it right. He may not make it right. And what are you going to do? You have to let it go. You have to let, let go, as I like to think about sometimes, let go and let God. Let God deal with it. It's out of my hands. If you don't let go of it, that's where you stop. I told David, I didn't know, David Creech, I didn't know if I'd move around or not, but here I go. 
So if I don't let go, if this is my problem and I hold on to it, where can I go from here? If I don't let go of this problem, I can't go sit down. I can't go get a drink of water. I can't do anything. I'm stuck right here. And that's what happens to us if we don't let go of these things, if we hold on to them, if we harbor them, and it allows this bitterness to grow in our heart. We stop. That's where we stop. And finally, another issue that I see, well, two more, actually. Another one is persecution. Persecution that happens in many forms. I would dare say that many of you have, have dealt with some type of persecution, minor Maybe a few of you extreme. Maybe you became a child of God and your family, you're an outcast to your family now and you're not welcome in their home. Maybe you didn't get that job promotion. I know situations like that, many of them. You can't advance in the company and you've already invested many, many years in the company and now you've hit this ceiling that you can't go any further because you're not a player you don't go to the drinking parties, the company parties and stuff, things of that nature. You don't do this and you don't do that. Uh, you won't work on Sundays. You're going to be at services, whatever the case may be. And so you have these persecutions. And these are some, in some regards, minor. In some regards, they are difficult uh, to deal with. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, very well known. But... I say well-known, but sometimes I wonder if I remember it. Sometimes I remember, I wonder if the brethren even think about it as well. Matthew, uh, in the Beatitudes, in chapter 5, uh, verses, uh, five through, um, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They did it to them, they'll do it to you. There's, uh, it's, it's definitely difficult when people say things about you that are not true. When th- people say things that hurt. Um, if you haven't figured out yet, I'm not a professional preacher. <laughs> and it's been a while since I've been up here. And someone made an accusation tonight that the last time you preached was two years ago and then the pandemic hit. (laughs) That's just not fair. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, those things in a serious nature, when people make accusations against you, they hurt. And they're not true when they're not true. And when they persecute you for other things. And sometimes people just, it just shuts them down. I heard heard someone say today that, uh, that, if you don't think highly of that person's opinion, why would you think highly of what they say about you? <laughs> and that's, there's some truth to that as well. Consider the source to begin with. Uh, now, I'm tongue-in-cheek about the one who said that about me. I won't call any names, but I'll tell you after services if you want to know. <laughs> but <clears throat> anyway, then going over to First uh, Peter in chapter 3. Apparently, Peter has a lot to say about things like this because we have a lot of passages in, in Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. And I'm in 2 Peter. That won't work. 1 Peter 3, 
9 through 18. Returning not evil for evil, reviling not reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this and that you may inherit blessings. For he who loved life and sees good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil and let his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to his prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he will harm you if, he, if you become followers of what is good? But if even you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks a reason of your, for your hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins for for sins just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh and made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered. He suffered the persecutions. He suffered the vile things that were said about him. He is our ultimate example of someone who endured persecutions. Well, one other item that I have uh, thinking about things, this is a new one on my list of... Um, especially what we've seen so much lately in things that we consider that are unfair, and that's when we have a death of a loved one. I've seen some people get really angry at God lately and say some terrible things. And these are people that are uh, supposed to be faithful children of God. And it's hard. It's hard when you lose anyone, whether they are, are aged and it's more expected all the way down to a child, it's hard and it hurts. But everyone has been appointed a time to leave this earth. It's not nothing that's unexpected in that sense as well. In Hebrews in 9, uh, verses 27 and 28, a familiar passage that we hear so often. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment... So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of the many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, from salvation. So we have that hope. We have that knowledge that we ourselves have a heavenly home that waits, a knowledge that death does not have dominion over us. It doesn't, yes, we're going to die physically, but it does not have dominion over us in a spiritual sense. And we have this knowledge that has been given to us, a place, a heavenly home. Um, one of my favorite go-to passages that helps me deal with this, and of course it's simple, but... Anyway, in Revelation 21, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for their former things have passed away. We have a hard time when someone passes from this life, but we know there's a heavenly home that awaits the faithful. And if we are the faithful, not only will we be there when we pass, but they will be there if they're passed but also there will be no more sorrow. These things that bring us heartache and sorrow, they'll be gone if we obtain that heavenly home. 
So ask the question then, what are our, what are our motivations for enduring unfair treatment? Well, this is one of them, that ultimate goal of getting to heaven. And um, <clears throat> this knowledge that we have also that can motivate us is that these things are temporary. When I was a kid, <laughs> I would, of course, I'm not athletic, I'm not smart, <laughs> not a lot of things, and I'm clumsy. And I would trip and I'd whack my shin into something, but I knew I just had to wait and it quit hurting. That hurt would go away. It didn't feel good, I didn't like it. I got, you know, by the time I was 19, I learned to suck it up, <laughs> quit, <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't cry anymore. And stuff. I knew that that pain would go away and stuff. Well, this pain that we have on this earth, these, these feelings that we have that cause us grief because we're treated unfairly, they're going to go away. In Romans uh, 8 and verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed to us. And then also in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, for our light affliction, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but a moment, is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Just that little speck in time on this earth is all we have to endure these things. This is speck in time compared to eternity. That's it. Can we not do that? Jesus, he asked those who were in the storm, could you not stay awake? Could you not wait just a little while? And that's what I wonder about myself sometimes when I'm dealing with these hardships and stuff. Can you not handle this just for a little while? Can you not endure these things? You're not going to be here that long. Surely you can. And that's what I ask myself. And I really do talk to myself that way all the time. <laughs> but another one is a motivation is just basically obeying God. Things that God has told us to do. God has told us to endure these things as well. In Matthew chapter 7, another um, well-known one. Matthew 7 and, and 21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but the, he who does the will of my Father, doing his will, doing the things that he has commanded us to do. And then going over to John chapter 12. John 12, uh, beginning in verse uh, 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And him who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I do not come to the world to judge, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days." For I have, sp have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me a command, and I should say to them what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, I so speak. <clears throat> 
And so following these words, following the commandments of Christ, following the words that we have in the scriptures, the commandments of, him, of God, these should provide a motivation for us to endure these things, that, these hardships that we have, and to please God as well. We see over in, again, in First um, Peter in chapter 2, First Peter 2, uh, beginning in verse uh, 19. For this is commendable, and because of the conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit, credit is this when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For, this, for to this you were called, and because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Uh, who committed no sin nor deceit was found in his mouth, and when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By those stripes you were healed." For you are like sheep going astray, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's a lot to consider, to motivate us to do his will, to endure, to suffer these hardships, to please God, and to glorify God. And over in the next chapter, page over in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to you, to try you as though some strange things happen to you, but rejoice to the extent that you will partake of Christ's sufferings, and to, to when the glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. And on their part, he is, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We can glorify God in our sufferings as well. That should motivate us to endure these things. And, of course, finally, to receive uh, this uh, final reward to receive the heavenly reward that we talked about earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that he does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. And this you are greatly rejoiced, though now for a little while, if indeed, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not... Seeing you uh, love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end, your faith, the salvation of your souls. Considering all of these things, thank you for being patient. I know time's going quickly. I'm just about done. <laughs> but considering all of these things, the hardships, the sufferings that we endure, 
let's not let them make us bitter, not distract us from our service to the Lord, not cost us our souls. Let us consider these things to strengthen us, to do the will of God, knowing that we have an opportunity to glorify God in these things as well. Considering all of these things, any complaining that we mentioned earlier, it's just as frivolous, I would have to believe, looks as just as frivolous to the Lord as it might be to y'all about me having to put the chain back on the post. It's just that frivolous. It's just that silly. Considering, compared to the little bit of suffering we do here, to the eternal glory and the heavenly home that awaits us. Perhaps there's someone here this evening that has allowed the things of this life to draw you away from the Lord. Perhaps you've never rendered obedience because of hardships in your life, because of difficulties, because of the way that you've been mistreated, the way that you've seen brethren mistreat other brethren perhaps even. Don't let that stand in your way. Don't let that, don't stand there and hold on to that anchor and keep you here and cost you from going there. If there's any way that we can be assist you this evening, whether the prayers from the saints, whether you're ready to make a commitment to the Lord and to be, have your sins washed away, to be buried in baptism, if there's any way that we can help you, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.